Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. Every single time you go around the Thanksgiving dinner table, you guys are having the same debate. Look at the Washington Post, the polling today. I know, but polling yeah, so is not voting. She's mashed potatoes are so creamy. You have something to add? I could never make a good pot roast. It ain't good beef. 76% of Americans, including 71% of white people, called racism and discrimination a big problem in the United States. I'm encouraged and inspired by that poll. His mashed potatoes are so creamy. Spain has good beef. Very mashed. Uh, I get That's it. Attitudes, attitudes are changing. A majority of Americans now appear to be convinced by statistics showing African Americans are more likely to be brutalized by police. Look at these numbers from a Monmouth poll. What do you make of that poll? Today, how racism has become a dinner table, Thanksgiving table, Christmas table, Fourth of July table, pick your table issue, gaining momentum in national polls. That's why I've got Alex Thompson here to translate these polling numbers into a language we can understand. Americans don't really change their minds on issues very easily. And when they do, it's usually stubborn. Yeah, it's very, very slow. And how Joe Biden and President Trump are both playing identity politics ahead of 2020. I'm your host, Eugene Daniels, and for Scott Bland, and this is Nerdcast. The reason I want to talk to you today is you wrote this piece about white America's reckoning with racism. You and I are friends. We've talked about this issue. We've talked, we talked about this story. Um, but you really got at how that may shape the upcoming elections in 2020, especially given where like our, the recent polling is, because some of the figures in your piece, they're just <laughs> for if you, if you told me that's what we would see this year, I'd, I'd be completely shocked. For example, um, public support for the Black Lives Matter movement has increased almost as much in the last two weeks as it has in the past two years. So for people who haven't seen the polling, kind of give them a rundown of some of the big numbers that surprised you. Yeah, I mean, the first one that you mentioned, I think, was from Civics, where it was now by a 28-point margin, people support it. You had a double-digit increase just in two weeks. And then basically every single poll out there, you can find unprecedented amounts of support for Black Lives Matter or unprecedented belief in systemic racism and belief that the justice system is weighed against Black people. And you're seeing, you know, for example, Monmouth this month found that 35% of white independents and 48% of white Democrats now say that race relations will be a, quote, major factor when they vote this November. Um, in that same poll, 70% of white Americans said racial discrimination is, quote, a, a big problem. Now, when they asked that same question in 2015, it was only around 50%. Wow. So it's a 26-point increase in five years. 
a CBS News survey found that 52% of white voters believe that they have a better chance of getting ahead than black people. Now, that's a 13-point increase from 2015, and it's the highest mark ever on that question since CBS began asking it in 1997. That is wild. Like, these numbers are, for people who maybe don't cover this as crazy as we do and aren't as, aren't huge nerds and geeks like we are, I want to dig even more into, like, the specifics of what the polling shows us, right? Like, what do you think the movement of these numbers mean? Because it's not like one poll or two polls. These are polls that have been happening over time, and we're seeing trends, which is what polling is the most useful for, right? Like seeing trends. We saw it with, you know, um, same-sex marriage, for example. Like watching as public support for something changed, that influences policy. So, So what do you think we're seeing in America that is leading to this polling? Well, I think your uh, parallel to same-sex marriage is a really good one because it's the only time I can think about in recent history where Americans have changed their minds on an issue so quickly. I mean, go like every single time you go around the Thanksgiving dinner table, you guys are having the same debates. Americans don't really mm-hmm. change their minds on issues very easily. And when they do, it's Stubborn. usually... Yeah, it's very, very slow. I mean, we've basically been caught in the same debate over abortion rights for 50 years, and the polling has yeah. barely nudged. Whereas this, what, you're, what you have seen is that since 2014, which is when Ferguson happens, when a policeman shot Michael Brown and the ensuing protests, since 2014, you have seen a gradual um, uptick in... Americans, particularly white liberals, until most recently. Now you're seeing white independents move too, but you saw white liberals becoming more and more uh, liberal on racial issues. Now, liberal is probably the wrong word. They, they basically became much more aware of racial mm. issues and much more committed to addressing racism and, and much more willing to believe that racism was still a huge, important force in American society. And so, you know, to to give you a sense of some of that polling since 2014, you basically saw that when Gallup had been asking, had been asking Americans if they were worried a great deal about race, the all-time low answer to that question came in 2010. So basically the very beginning of the Obama presidency. Mm-hmm. Only 13% of Americans were worried a great deal about race. By 2017, so think about it, you've had, you had Ferguson, you've had a number of police killings, you've also had Trump's candidacy that is calling about getting rid of a lot of Mexican immigration. You're talking about banning Muslims. You have uh, a lot of you know, race baiting going on in that election. So you go from 13% in 2010, it's at 42% by 2017. And then by 2017, a Pew survey found that self-identified white liberals were even more likely than African-Americans to believe that racial discrimination was the reason that black people were unable to get ahead. So in, in some ways, you saw this gradual, this gradual increase. One other one that I just wanted to point out was that since 2001, Gallup has been asking if people favor affirmative action programs. And the first time a majority of white people said that they favored affirmative action programs was in 2019. 
So you have been seeing slowly but surely a number of Americans, especially white Americans, becoming more observant of race and more willing to believe that we didn't just leave racism behind in the 1960s after the civil rights movement, but a lot more white Americans believing that it's a, it's a big deal. And what you are seeing the last two weeks is, as you, you put it, the culmination of that trend. And so essentially the dam is breaking here. Right. That all at once, the killing of George Floyd and the eight minute, 40 second video was so incredibly horrific that Americans just like can't deny, feel that they can't deny the reality anymore, which is that racism is still very much a part of America and that it, something has to be done to address it. Now, I would point out that even if you have people like Mitt Romney saying Black Lives Matter and you have a 28-point spread of people supporting Black Lives Matter and half of people supporting affirmative action programs, that still leaves a lot of voters that don't believe those things. Right. And so I think it would be premature to say that this is a done deal, that the question has been answered. But it, it is a turnaround of public opinion that we have not seen very often in American history or in our lifetimes. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, when we see those changes in a public opinion, it usually leads into some kind of electoral changes, right? Like, so I want to dig into your piece where you contrasted basically white identity politics. And we, you know, when people talk about identity politics, it's usually about marginalized communities, right? It's usually, um, and when you talk to Democrats and liberals, they get really upset because it makes it seem like those issues don't matter as much as something like tax reform. However, when you're talking about white identity politics, you're talking about Trump and the way that hit what his brand is and how he's leaned in to that brand, but also in more probably more interestingly, more new, is that Biden has also kind of deployed this sort of like white identity politics for people who um, maybe are are guilty in some way. And, and you called it the woke or perhaps um, the woke curious, right? Like um, using white guilt as a way to talk to white people and, and not just have the conversation be, you know, um, black surrogates having this conversation with people or having or, you know, trying to talk to the black community about race and we're going to do better for you. Right. Like this is white people, a, a white presidential candidate talking to white voters and white potential voters about identity. Well, and credit where credit to Eugene, the idea of, of <laughs> saying that this is not just Trump using white identity politics, but it's Biden using white identity politics. That was your idea that came from was our, that me? That was you. Because <laughs> I, I, I was curious. I was like, I am I am sensing there's like a lot of white guilt in this environment for and sort of shame yeah. for sort of believing in this this myth that we wanted to tell ourselves, which is that we had finally overcome sort of the original sin of this country, which would be slavery, which would be Jim Crow. And we left it behind in the dustbin of history. And sort of like the remember the Titans myth, right? Where there was a lot of there, there was a lot of integration. There was a lot. It was really hard. But then, you know, we won the state championship and everything worked out. <laughs> and I think, um, you know, uh, because of sort of this denial, I think in a lot of white liberals' minds, they are they have almost gone the other way, where they're feeling some embarrassment, and some and some shame. And to your point, like your question, where how is this going to affect the election? Well, Biden is basically banking on the fact 
that Trump's appeals to white voters, this is what any politics of law and order, about you don't kneel and protest the flag, that, you know, George Floyd, which is something that Trump retweeted someone saying, wasn't a good person, and that mm-hmm. this is not really a, a part of a, of a larger systemic issue um, in this country, that it was a tragic, isolated incident, that that sort of incendiary rhetoric will end up sort of uh, shaming enough or turning off enough white voters who will then be appealed to this this Biden message of healing the country of, you know, it's okay that you didn't think you were racist before, but that you recognize it in yourself now. I mean, even Biden himself the last two weeks sort of compellingly has talked about how he he didn't, uh, you know, he underestimated racism. So he's sort of giving a lot of white voters permission to admit mm. their own ignorances. And whether or not it will work, you know, who knows? In 2016, you could argue, you know, and Hillary Clinton did, that she was making a lot of these same arguments and it, it didn't work. But the polling would suggest that we might be in a different moment. Right. Like it feels different. Like I think of um, in the last, you know, three weeks, the messages that I've seen um, and received from people, surprisingly, people that I never thought would, you know, say the things that they're saying about race and race relations in this country. Right. Like we haven't had um, and I'm sure somebody's going to bring up some moment where they feel like they did, but I don't think that we've ever had such a coordinated nationwide effort to bring these things to people's attention. And it starts with Black Lives Matter movement, right? Like it started with these young, um, largely at the very beginning, especially black kids who were saying, you know, enough is enough, right? And um, I remember my sister, who is a community organizer with Black Lives Matter movement in LA, said recently she remembers being called a terrorist, when, you know, this movement first started and just like the change in that in such little time, like what we're what what we're starting to see and why this moment, I think, feels differently is that the change comes with the people who are at the top. And when you talk about race and race relations, that comes down to white people realizing that something's wrong and them wanting to change something. Right. Yeah. I mean, it- I think, you know, any study of the 1960s and what MLK was doing down the South, part of his entire strategy was to raise white consciousness, to raise awareness of what was going on with the white power structure and making it sort of undeniable any any longer or at least unplatable. And so, you know, if you are a black person in this country, you are a minority, but the power structure of this country, the the government that makes the laws, that controls some of these systems, you're even more of a minority if you're there because it is still largely white-based. So if you, and I think that's- We have three ta- black senators right now. We have exactly. three black senators, yeah. We, we've only had one black person in all of history serve both in the House and the Senate. Yeah. And that's Tim Scott, who's currently a Republican senator from South Carolina right now. First person ever. So, you know, if you want change and activists do, you need to convince the people at the top. And that's why, as you were saying, at this moment, you look at the crowds. These are it's not just black men protesting. You are seeing a lot of a lot of white people protesting, too. Some of these you're, you're seeing multiple protests in Utah and West Virginia and, and small towns 
of all white people protesting that Black Lives Matter. So to your point, I think that's why some of this some of this is different. I'd be curious, you know, just what some of the reaction that you've gotten with your friends and what you've been telling some of your white friends who have been hmm. reaching out. Yeah, I saw um, this tweet recently that I've started to share with them um, because I think this is a time in which I have never seen like the majority, of, the vast majority of my white friends dealing with this. They they have dealt with this in a way that I've never seen and talked about it more. And they're educating themselves in this different way. Um, you know, the books that have been sold out the most are books like How to Be an Anti-Racist. And so you want to talk about race. Right. Um, and so what I've been sharing with them is this tweet thread from a black woman that basically gave them um like white, like, hey, white people, I know this is kind of shocking for you guys, and you've never done this. Black people have been dealing with race this whole time, so check on us, sure, but like, check on yourself too, right? Like, <laughs> like, like, try to figure out. And so that's what I've been sharing with them is like, this, these conversations are so damn hard, right? And they should be. Like, people should feel uncomfortable, and you should have to think about the things that you've said and done um, that have have been a part of this, right? Um, and so I think that that is what I keep trying to share to them is, like, I deal with this all the time. I have dealt with this for 31 years of my life, right? And so now that white people are dealing with it, um, you know, there has to be, you know, keep doing it and it's going to be uncomfortable. And I think if you give permit people permission to be uncomfortable, which I think is kind of what Biden's doing, right? Like it gives them, he's giving white people like an okay to be like, oh, I definitely messed that up at some point. And I think that, that seems like he thinks that's going to be helpful. And I think activists would say that's probably helpful too, to change people's minds. Yeah. Well, and Biden himself has actually very publicly made some, uh, faux pas in this area when uh, the first day that he ran for president in 2007 he was asked about obama running and he was like oh it's so great for the first time ever you have this like a a clean articulate black man running for president (laughs) and he ended up having to call obama and and apologize so he's he's very much in there i mean to your point i mean and i think like you know a lot of white people the reason why especially they're they're sort of nervous about talking about this is that they're scared of being labeled racist. I mean, mm, I, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, just speaking from my own personal experience, you know, I grew up in a in a Mormon family, and the Mormon Church sort of infamously didn't allow blacks to become full members in the church until 1978. And so, my congregation was very, very white, and I lived in like a, a largely white suburbia. My public high school was in L.A. County, technically, but it was, I think, 80% white, 85% white. Mm, it was, wow. and I went to college and like a good portion of my, my friends were white. You know, I was like on the water polo team, which is like the whitest sport you could choose. <laughs> and it's pretty up there. It's, it's, it's pretty up there. I mean, maybe polo or something, but like regular, yes. po- like horse polo might be a little whiter. But, <laughs> so I know like, the first, the first time uh, someone said, like, I think you should phrase things differently, mm. you know, because I'd said something and it was said inarticulately. I remember, like, anxiety and shame at myself, but also defensiveness. Cause I'm like, I'm not racist. Like, I've never done anything that, that's racist. And I think, like, but that was also because I just had, hadn't had, to your point, like, I hadn't had to think of it. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, I just wasn't around a lot of people of color. And it was like an interesting, you know, especially as I started reporting on politics more and you can't cover 
Um, I think what really motivated me to like learn a lot more about race was just because in reporting, if you're going to report on the Democratic Party or report on politics at all in this era, if you do, aren't curious about race, then you can't be curious about politics. You can't do anything about politics. So that was sort of what made me just like, you know, wise up to yeah, yeah. I I mean, it feels like that journey is happening for so many people. Um, and you think I think about even Republicans maybe shifting a bit, right? Like you Mitt Romney, <laughs> Senator Mitt Romney, um marching this weekend, um, and saying Black Lives Matter. I don't think I've ever heard such a high profile um, figure from the Republican Party say those words. Um, even Tom Cotton, right, like talked about um, how black men uh, see them. No, he he's heard from black men that you know they operate differently with law enforcement, and there are they they see see it and live in that differently. This is Tom Cotton who like fought against police reforms <laughs> this like he 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 eviscerated everyone for trying to do that right and even said we have an under incarceration problem um and so it it does feel like something's happening and it's starting to lead itself into politics in a different way especially for and even maybe even on the republican side i've heard some activists who you know don't feel like it's it's completely you know they, they're not they're not sure how to take it um but it does it is interesting at the very least yeah i mean i think you're gonna see in the next week or two that the republican controlled senate is going to try very hard to pass a bill on police reform mitch mcconnell is mm-hmm. going to pass like say is like gonna pass police reform and you know, they they, they had uh, Senator Tim Scott again, like, sort of lead the effort with Mitt Romney. I mean, the fact of the matter is that there does seem to be a very fragile consensus in this moment that Black people are not treated fairly in the American justice system. And the mm-hmm. fact that there even is such a consensus, it would have been impossible five years ago, ten years ago, and and does uh, speak to the moment. Whether or not that moment that lasts, we don't know. Because despite some of that consensus, you also have the Attorney General, William Barr, tell CBS this last weekend that he doesn't believe the criminal justice system is systemically racist. You had Larry Kudlow right. say the same thing in front of the White House. Now, whether or not like systemically racist becomes like the dividing line who knows like if they still support reforms and they don't say it's systemically racist that might just be like a word they don't like to use but it is it it is interesting to your point that like there there is a fragile consensus going on yeah it it also it feels like because everyone's kind of moving in some kind in in a way um to to coming to realizing this for themselves in some way 2020 is going to be our it's already been like one of the most interesting years just like to live through <laughs> like it's just i know it's a charitable I, word like i often just interesting like, it is i'm trying to be nice i'm trying to be nice to 2020 it's only june <laughs> um so maybe things will look up um but it has felt like you know 
2020 is a referendum on Trump, right? Like we know that that's how elections work. It's also a referendum on coronavirus and the way that his government has handled it. And now it's really looking like a refer- referendum on race like we've ne- we haven't seen in a very long time, right? Like not like 2016 to a certain extent was a referendum on our conversations about race, especially Latinx people, you know, we're you know talking about the things that President Trump said while he was running for office, but this is about like the the systemic and systematic um, racism that people on the left really, really, truly believe that is happening and bringing people on the right is. You have this interesting part at the end of your piece where you kind of write about how many more of the liberal candidates in the primary tried to appeal to white liberals by um, embracing policy like reparations and decriminalizing the southern border. Joe Biden didn't adopt those, right? Um, and neither did in a, a major- an overwhelming majority of black Americans. So it does feel like at times there could be a disconnect. Like I feel like sometimes we talk about like black um, black voters being a little bit more small C conservative when it comes to um, what they are willing to expect. And I, what I hear from people when I talk to them is that that is largely because of disappointments in the past, right? Like so, it's like if you keep your expectations low, um, you know, whatever you get will be good. It it feels like that that conflict is is also going to be a part of 2020. Oh, that's interesting. So do you think, so how do you think that conflict is going to play itself out between, between those voters? I think, I mean, because the primary is over, I think the conflict for Joe Biden, maybe it's over, but I do think that what you have is, you know, I don't, I don't think there's going to be a large swath of black voters that are going to run to, to President Trump. Um, I think he got 8%, which he's been pointing out <laughs> recently of the, of the black vote. Um, but I don't, so I don't think that's going to get any higher, but there is something really interesting about, you know, white liberals and white people at this time sometimes being a little like being more upset about things than black people are right like we (laughs) you know what i mean like it feels like like because we've dealt with this our entire lives right um it is not shocking to black people right race racism is not shocking to us um that treatment is not shocking but it's shocking to white people so i think the gut reaction um is to like go as far as you can on it, right? Like mm. to and 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 do you? Do, I mean, I don't know. I think maybe it has a little bit to do with not wanting to be seen as um, racist in any way, right? Like in yeah, the they're overcompensating, right? Right, and maybe that lead, you know that is I would assume is probably a good thing for Joe Biden, right? Um, yeah, I mean, based on his strategy, which has always been presenting himself as a figure to heal the nation, and now that race is so center, I mean, it's not a coincidence that he started his campaign, his his first day campaign message was centered around Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. And, and the president's response to that, and this actually dovetails, basically, I mean, and the campaign has been trying to make it dovetail with this moment too. You know, his message very much fits with that same moment. You know, a number of the president's aides have sort of quietly compared, you know, this moment for Trump to Charlottesville. Um, And, you know, to your point also about white liberals sometimes getting more upset um, than black people. I mean, I think a perfect example of this in a micro level was what you saw with the governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam last year, 
which was right. after they found a picture on his uh, medical school yearbook with a man in blackface that he denied was him, uh, but it it was back and forth, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. But what was so interesting is basically the entire political establishment called on him to resign, and but the polling in the state showed that black voters still overwhelmingly supported him. And I think it was right, because it right. wasn't really, they were like, so you're telling me a Southern guy in law school in like 1981 wore a blackface <laughs> to a Halloween party? Shocker! Like right, and also there, and also there was another guy that was there. There was a guy in blackface on the um, in the picture. The other guy had a KKK hood on. That's right. So, that's right. <laughs> so like we, we, you have a two. There's like a two strikes in that picture, and that was shocking for white people. And I think you know, like to your point, like black people were like, yeah, he's. That's Virginia. Yeah. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like, you see it as that. Yeah. You guys still have, like, statues of Robert E. Lee everywhere. Right. Right. Exactly. And so I think that all of this is going to play out in a way that I think none of us know. I think something that political reporters have a hard time saying um, is that I don't know. And I feel like we don't. I feel like all of this... Could this end? Like, could could all this this heat and and excitement over this be over in a couple of weeks? Maybe. Is it going to keep going? And is it going to heighten? Maybe. Um, and you know, how will it affect you know white suburban women voters who gave Democrats the House in twenty eighteen? Right. Like, how do how do they view this? And so, um, I think the conversation about race as a referendum. Or be or or twenty twenty being a referendum on race relations in this country is going to be something we're going to have to keep watch. Well, and to your point, it just is so unprecedented because white politicians, like Republicans and Democrats alike, if you're a white politician, you don't like talking about race. It's just like an unwritten rule because you don't want to you you don't want to alienate white people is really the reason, and so they both sides take great pains. Um, in order to avoid talking about it. But what the Trump era has done is made it impossible. Right, right. I can talk to you about this all day long, Alex, but um, I am going to let you go and, you know, do some work. Maybe get on your Peloton that you have back there. It's not a Peloton. It's not a Peloton. (laughs) (laughs) It's a $350 Amazon bike. I want to make the, I want to make this very clear to any of my bosses listening <laughs> that I don't have enough money for a Peloton. Same. Yeah. I also say that. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> give me a raise and I'll buy a Peloton. <laughs> All right, Alex. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Eugene. Here are a few other things I've been watching this week. After weeks of back and forth, the Republican National Committee says it has chosen Jacksonville, Florida to host a series of the RNC keynote events in August that includes President Trump's primetime speech to accept the GOP nomination. Also, Georgia Democrat John Ossoff has won the nomination to take on Republican Senator David Perdue in Georgia this November. The race was called late Wednesday after Tuesday's primary, which was marred by lines as long as seven hours and major issues with in-person voting, especially in the Atlanta area and especially in black and brown areas. And lastly, NASCAR on Wednesday said it is banning the display of the Confederate flag at all events and properties of the auto racing giant. And that's our show. Our producers, Annie Reese, our senior producers, Jenny Ament, and our executive producers, Irene Noguchi. Our illustrator is Bill Cookman. 
If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor and leave us a review. It helps new listeners find the show. Scott is out on paternity leave, but we will have a bunch of great guest hosts. See you soon, and thanks for listening.